Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. We recently put on a conference at High Point Church called Sexuality Everywhere. We were looking at the question, how can we glorify Jesus as sexual beings? This breakout session is on boundaries, wisdom for avoiding sexual entanglements with Glenn and Vicki Smith. Thanks for listening. So we're talking about boundaries. Uh, we're talking about, you know, just the whole idea of establishing boundaries in our lives. Uh, boundaries are simply property lines. Uh, we, we, I used to be a builder prior to going to the ministry. And, uh, before we would start a project, of course, we would survey the land and set the boundaries, right? Find out, you know, what was ours, what was someone else's. And so boundaries are simply property lines that define what you will allow and what you won't. And so that's what we're talking about in our lives. And so, uh, but first, let's let's just sort of establish. I know it's been talked about so far. Um, just a biblical worldview. Um, in First Corinthians or First Thessalonians chapter four, uh, it's there in your notes. If you don't have one of our handouts, I don't know if we have any additional ones, um, but it's there. Uh, it simply says, "For this is the will of God." How many of you want to know the will of God? You know, that's that's the quest of every believer. Is God? You know, people come into my office. Uh, on a regular basis and say, you know, I just want to know God's will for my life. Well, here we go. <laughs> um, but this is the will of God, that you be sanctified, separated and set apart from sin, and that you abstain and back away, back away, you know, that whole back away from the car, all right, back away from sexual sin or sexual immorality, immorality um, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness, and honor being available for God's purpose and separated from things profane, not to be used in lustful passion like the Gentiles or people who just don't know God and are ignorant of his will. Second, Hebrews 13:4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So that's sort of the biblical worldview from which we come at as believers, as Christians. And uh, this being a sexuality everywhere conference, I don't know, can you hear me back there? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, we're going to talk about sex, right? Yes, God created it. First of all, I think that has been established. Last night's meeting with Adam and this morning and some of the breakout sessions as well. So God created sex. And he created it to be safe in the safety confines of a monogamous relationship between a husband and a wife. So there should be no shame, and there should be enjoyment. He, uh, God intended it for us to enjoy sex, not for us to be ashamed of it. Now, because of our backgrounds, because of our past, and because we live in a broken world, we don't always are able to accept the fact that we're supposed to enjoy sex without the guilt and without the shame in the right context. So that's what we're going to talk about today. God created us to be sexual beings. That's what he wants us to do. And the enemy has perverted that. You guys know that we live in a fallen and broken world. So therefore, until we are redeemed, and our new earth, the new heavens, until then we have to learn some of the tools that we need in order for us to enjoy life 
I have the abundant life that God really wants us to have. So, God created us to be sexual beings, and the enemy has perverted that in many ways, and he begins to lock us up in lust and temptations. That's what we want to deal with this afternoon for you. We want to show you some key tools on how to combat, how to fight, and how to overcome those temptations. The church has been silent on this issue way too long, and we're here to open the doors and bring light into that darkness. So the whole idea um, is really to, uh, I've got a toolbox up here, the whole idea today is to give you some tools, okay, to put in your toolbox. Um, I always view life as sort of a toolbox. Uh, I have several uh, different toolboxes and tool areas and tool drawers at my house. And uh, probably four or five different ones. I have one in the garage, one in the basement, a couple upstairs in different places. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Two drawers, two. Yeah, and so and I've got all these different things in there. So if something goes wrong, you know, I know where to, to go to get that tool to fix it. And it's a joy when something breaks that you have the tool that you need. So that, that's what this is. This is preventative. Um, this will help you, you know, sort of live holy um, if you apply them. This will help you stay safe. Uh, but it's not perfect, okay? There are times where something breaks in the house where I don't have the tool <laughs> and I've got to call someone else in. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so th these are some practical things. Um, I mean, we have a problem in our society. We have... We have an issue that we need to deal with. We have all the stuff we've been talking about and hearing from, from all the different uh, workshops and breakouts and Adam last night and Lori this morning. Um, we have more mega churches in the US and around the world than you can count. And yet sexual sin and addictions or entanglements that this session is about is at an all time high. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so we have more people, and uh, we were talking about this earlier today, we have more people that claim Christianity than in any other time in our history, yet the statistics tell us that we have an alarming problem at our, on our hands. Yes. So listen to some of these statistics. These are the ways that the enemy has tried to pervert what God created and meant for good. Porn revenue is larger than all of the revenues of ABC, NBC, and CBS wow. combined. Okay? 90% of Adult, 90% of 8 to 16 year olds, listen up parents, 8 to 16 year olds have viewed porn online, 8 years old. Whoa. 40 million Americans are daily visitors to porn sites on the web. The porn industry generates more revenue, that little baby's going to need to know this before he's 8 years old. The porn industry generates more revenue than football, baseball, and basketball combined. Just think about that. Sunday football creates more, less revenue than the porn industry. Child porn generates $3 billion a year. There are more than 100,000 websites offering illegal child porn. Child porn should be illegal. <coughs> should be everything. It's terrible. More than $5 billion is spent at sex clubs annually. More than $11 billion is spent on prostitution alone. And it's not just a guy thing. 34% of women 
are into pornography. Could you imagine? I chat rooms on the internet. 45% of men have committed adultery, and 41% of women have committed adultery. This is a reality. This is the world that we live in. And as Christians, we need to know and educate ourselves, be informed so that we can help other people, but first of all, help ourselves so that we're not part of these statistics. Yeah, the Bible says we shouldn't be ignorant of the devil's devices or schemes. That's why it's important for us to know some of these things uh, and to understand how the enemy operates. And sin, sin is one of those things that, that, that has been talked about last night and today. I'm thrilled at the fact that we're addressing these issues in this conference. Um, because it really is a sin issue. It's a, and sin is a sin issue is really a trust issue. And so sin, it's been said, um, I like the way somebody put it years and years ago when I first came into ministry. Um, they said sin will always, always take you further than you wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will get you to do things you never dreamed possible. That's, that's what it does to you. It messes us up. It destroys our life. It destroys our family. It destroys our kids. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 6, verse 18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received, received from God? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, do what? Honor. Honor God with your body or with your thing, as Nick said last night. <laughs> with your thing, whatever that thing looks like, all right? So honor, look, the whole idea behind this conference is really just to learn how to honor God. And that the whole idea behind boundaries um, and wisdom for or from sexual entanglements is really to honor, learn how to honor God with the things that you have in your life. And it could be your, your sexuality, it could be any other area of your life, okay? That we learn to honor him with that. Sexual immorality is, is biblically defined as any sex outside of the marriage union, which not only includes intercourse, but also um, all forms of inter inappropriate sexual touch, such as, and it's, it's sad that we even have to go into this or define this, but such as fondling, oral sex, and mutual masturbation. Um, and we don't have time to go into why and how and all that kind of stuff, but that would be considered sexual immorality. Um, but bottom line is, is you've got to learn how to control lust in these areas, or it'll destroy you. It'll destroy your, your life, your relationships. Um, it'll take on a life of its own and cause you to be less than God intended for you to be. There's three prevailing attitudes that are listed in your notes in the handout we have here about this whole idea of sex. First of all, the first attitude is guilt. And some of you may be sitting here, here's a fill in the blank for those of you that like to do that. Um, you know, for some of you, you, you feel guilty. You, because of past sins, because of uh, even perhaps present sins. Um, that you've been wrestling with, or, or bad relationships, or things that you've compromised with, you have this, this, this attitude of guilt towards this whole idea of sex. The second, the second attitude is apathy. Mm -hmm. Apathy. Uh, it's like, no big deal. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, that's just the way boys are. Like, 
Adam talked about us being animals last night. That's just like, we're animals. We have no control over this. There's nothing we can do about it. But the whole idea is apathetic. Third, the third attitude is diligence. And hopefully, hopefully that's where we can all get in our own personal and private lives. lives. Diligence, it's because you are acutely aware of the myriad of problems it creates and the lives that it destroys, you are absolutely committed to winning the battle of sexual temptation. And I believe that's why this room is full today. <laughs> that you're committed, that you are, are longing to be diligent. You're wanting to, to, to make adjustments and to learn some things. I know Vicki and I are, after uh, 42 years of marriage, we're still longing to learn and still wanting to discover things that can help us um, be more like Christ, right? Be more like Him. So listen to this scripture in Matthew chapter 6. This is one of the keys of how we can enter into sexual involvement and entanglement. In Matthew 6, 22 through 23, it should be up on the screen. It says that the eye is the lamp of the body. Your eyes are the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That's how the enemy wants to entrap us, is through the eyes. Because when our eyes are good, our whole body will be full of light. But when you are consuming yourself, just like Adam talked last night, or maybe that was Nick, about all those terrible TV shows, and no. you know the murders and all of that things, hey, well, what hey, is that doing? I know, I'm standing on your toes, I know. <laughs> and, you know, what is that doing? That is getting inside of us. We're watching that with our eyes, and that gets on the inside of us, and we're not full of light then. We're not full of light. So you have to watch. What was that one little story, that I mean, little song that they would play in kindergarten? Little eyes. Careful little eyes, what you see. <laughs> Careful little ears, what you hear. Right? Yep. Exactly. Or the father, what? Oh, yeah. Thank you for helping me out. Okay. So that's the number one strategy that he uses is our eyes. Our so eyes. yeah, sexual entanglement, I think, yep. starts with the eyes. Absolutely. Okay? That's where loss starts from. And so let's play on that whole eye little play on okay. words here. Okay? okay? It's in your notes there. Okay. <laughs> Five so stages first, of the eyes, right? Yes. The first one is tantalized. That means he's tantalizing you. He is tempting you. Come on. It's us with the eyes. With the eyes. These are not my own. Whoops. You just knocked the tool out. That's all right. Back away. Back away. Sorry. So that's the number one way that he... That he tempts us. He, ta he tantalizes us through the lust, into lust through the eyes. He wants us to see what we're missing. You've heard the saying, we always think that the grass is greener on the other side. But the water bills are higher too. That's right. So that's what he wants to do. He wants to tempt you. He wants to tempt you with what you don't have instead of appreciating what you do have. And that is coming through the eyes. Yeah. Oh, we're getting to the good stuff now. That's okay. the whole tantalized thing. So that, next you have customized. Come on. <laughs> Play in words, customized. And this, this is where the enemy will actually build a temptation that is specifically designed to fit your weakness. It's customized. You know, we love, we live in a society that loves things customized for us. You know, we got a Starbucks and 
you know, we have this long list of things that we order, right? It's not just give me a coffee. It's like, you know, I have a sugar-free vanilla brevet latte, extra hot, extra fall. You know, it's like on and on we go, right? It's all customized, okay? Third, third, once again, play words, is mobilize, right? Mobilize. And this is where it gets dangerous. This, this is where you turn a temptation into an action, okay? This is mobilize. This is where you start to mobilize yourself into doing something with what you have seen, and then what all of a sudden the enemy tempts you with and, and sort of customizes for you, and then before you know it, there's a mobilize. The fourth, the fourth thing is rationalize. <clears throat> rationalize. And this is where this is where you start to justify or rationalize um, your ungodly behavior. And I can't tell you as a pastor for 38 years, I can't tell you some of the, I've heard I've pretty much heard it all of how people rationalize or justify um, some of the most hideous, crazy things you can imagine. They, you know, they, they just all of a sudden talk themselves into or rationalize um, this whole idea that they have about their sexuality or about their marriage or about their relationships. Well, hold on before you go to okay. the next point. What comes to my mind is that this is how deception starts. Deception starts, and you go back to point number three, where we turn the temptation into action. And when we do that, then we start to justify and rationalize why it's okay for us to do this. That is deception. Have you ever met a person that was deceived? Dangerous place to be. Very dangerous place to be because you cannot rationalize with them. Did you hear me? You cannot rationalize with them that they're deceived because they have stepped away from the truth as being where they stand, and they have stepped into sin by disobeying the word. And that's why deception can come in, and it's very hard. Prayer, prayer. And the, the problem with deception is when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. That's why you need good, close relationships. Yes. And we'll talk about that in just a minute in terms of the accountability things and why that is so important so that you can, other people can help you see where you're getting off. And you need to listen to them when they tell you this. <laughs> and last but not least, in the whole I play on word thing, is vandalize. Okay? Vandalize. Yes. Um, the ultimate goal of the enemy is to vandalize or defame or destroy your life. That's what he wants to do. He wants to vandalize you. He wants to, he wants to, to tag you, if you will. Okay? He wants to vandalize or destroy your life. The devil will promise you everything and deliver absolutely nothing because he's a liar, the father of lies. And, and today we want to help build healthy boundaries in your life that will help you keep from falling into a trap. Uh, I call these 10 moral fences or pillars of purity. Um, it's there in your notes. Uh, these, are, these are fences, and I found out that fences are designed to keep the good things in and the bad things out. Uh, we have an invisible fence at home. Um, we want to keep our dogs, you know, it's for our dogs, not me. Um, <laughs> keep our dogs in the yard and not out of the yard. And so this will help This will help build some healthy boundaries in your life and build some fences to keep the good stuff in that God intends for us and the bad stuff out. Okay? So what we're sharing with you today is from experience, okay? 
We have 43 years, almost, of marriage experience. We have almost 39 years or 40 years of ministry experience. Do you think that we have seen a lot? Yes. We have. So that's why we're able to share with you, not because we're any better than anyone here, it's not because we're perfect, because we're not. We're still working on things. You think that 40, almost 43 years of marriage, you would think you got it down, right? No. Are you sure? No. 52. 52 years. Come on, let's give it up. For Larry. Yes. I was still learning. And they're still learning, sitting here taking notes. Come on, yes, I know I'll tell you something. That's right. All right, so the first thing that we recommend for you to do is to minimize improper relationships, okay? If you can, get rid of them altogether. Opposite sex friendships generally lead you into a direction that you don't want to go. Again, for those of you who might be struggling with same-sex attractions, this also applies to you. You need to apply these principles as well. So. Again, minimize those friendships. Try to get rid of them if you can, because again, it's a temptation. You hang around the campfire long enough, and you try to get that marshmallow in there, but you want it just perfect. You wait too long, what happens? It catches on fire. It catches on fire, exactly. And it does not taste good. You have to throw it away. So how do you avoid some of that? You need to avoid flirtatious gestures and comments. You know, there's a lot of beautiful people in this world. God has created an amazing, amazing race. And we have some gorgeous people that they're beautiful to look at, but it doesn't mean you have to lust after them. All right? It helps that you're, that you're pretty so people can hear you, but don't lust after them. All right? Don't have flirtatious gestures with them. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, it says bad company corrupts good character. Yeah, be, be careful with this one. It's sometimes, it, you know, it's somewhat innocent yes, it is. in your heart, exactly. but it's not, it doesn't come across that way to someone else. I know a, a guy in our church back years ago um, that he was just innocently sort of flirting but complimenting someone through a drive-thru window. Mm -hmm. And she happened to know where he worked. And he gave him the, gave her the compliment, and she said, "Well, so so, what do you think? Uh, you want to you want to do something more about it? You know." Then she called his bluff. Yeah. So it escalated at an alarming pace. <laughs> Next thing you know, she's knocking on his office door at nine o'clock at night. They end up having sex, and his life has been destroyed. Now, thirty years later, his life is still jacked mm -hmm. because of that stupid mistake of just throwing out a flirtatious word. And in his mind, he was just going to get his food and go on. But in her mind, it changed everything. Second, maximize your marriage relationships. And, and so if you're single here today, um, you, can, you can interpolate this. You can, you can apply these principles to your singleness, okay? Maximize your singleness, okay, relationship. God wants all of us that are married to have a great marriage and an awesome, anointed sex life, okay? Just so you know. Did they hear that? Anointed, sex life, yeah. Anointed, the, the word anointing is simply God's presence, his upon presence. 
and God wants to give you an anointed sex life. And he want, in other words, God, God's the one that created it, he's the one that developed it, developed it, he's the one that designed it, and he wants you to enjoy it. For those, for those, he doesn't hide his eyes and say, oh my, okay? So, um, God wants you to have a great, awesome, anointed sex life with your spouse. That's the catch, okay? Sex, I like to tell couples that are getting married, sex is God's gift to you on your wedding day. It's God's gift to you on your wedding day. Never stop building a strong and robust, robust marriage. Never stop learning or growing. Like I said, Vicki and I have been doing this for, been married for 42, almost 43 years. We've been together 45. And well, that, see, that's the problem. They think that we're perfect. No, no, they don't. They don't know that we used to live together. Oh. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. were sinners. Really bad ones. Bad. BC. <laughs> we were druggies. Hey. Can you believe that? <laughs> that's how far God has redeemed us. So if he can do that with us, would you think we're the perfect couple? <laughs> no, thank you the announcer and the bodyguard who's delivered the bars and clubs and all that kind of stuff. So um, God has redeemed that. Yes. Listen, so third, let's move on. We won't run out of time. <laughs> third. Can you tell me something? Uh, well, she's always telling me this. Uh, monitor your media intake. Okay? That's the third thing. These are, we're talking about fences here, some, some boundaries, some basic boundaries that help keep you safe. Monitor your media intake. You know, the whole, whatever it is that, that messes with you, that gets down on the inside of you, whether it's, you know, Vicky's secrets, you know, whatever. Not hers, Victoria, okay? Uh, whatever it is. <laughs> Something is no big deal. This one only has a couple, you know, skin flicks, skin parts. It's no big deal. Just a little skin, not gonna hurt anybody. Who are you kidding? A little, uh, just a little scene can feed lust for weeks, right? Because our our minds are digital. They're like digital cameras. Mm -hmm. They just don't erase that easily. So that's why we have to watch our eye gate. This is your eye gate. So that we're not watching things that, and you know, this is for girls too. We're not just talking to you guys. Girls, come on. You know that this gets into you too. And you go, hmm, I like that guy. All right. So you have to be careful as well. So make sure that you're watching the right things. There's another good scripture. It's in the Old Testament, Job. Job is a really good book if you know how to read it properly. Job, Job 31, verse 1, it says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Again, we're going to give you more tools to address this particular verse right here, but God wants you to, you can look at people, just don't look at them with lust in your eyes. Right? Yeah, and it could be girls, it could be guys, it could yep. be whatever. Um, so we, I kind of live by this two-second rule and no-second look. So, you know, if I see someone that I see attractive, you know, I catch myself within two-second and no-second looks, okay? So these, these are some of the things that you build internally that will help you make wise decisions and have good boundaries in place. First Timothy uh, chapter 5 says, um, Don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father... Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. 
So I call it the MDS rule. Pastors, different people have called it different things. The MDS rule is said to treat older women as mothers, that's the M. Younger women as daughters, that's the D. And same age women as sisters, that's the S. MDS, okay? It's hard to have a bad thought about your mother or your sister or your daughter, right? Fourth, manage your life with accountability. Huge. Huge. If you're serious about winning the war of sexual temptations, get accountability partner, a trusted friend, someone that you can tell anything to and they'll still love and support Anything. We all need people like that in our lives. I don't care who you are. Um, it's just, it breaks my heart to see people in what I do as pastors um, fall into sin and be removed from their churches. And I've been seeing them uh, like crazy lately. And so, as well as just individual lives of people. Um, but if you're serious about winning the battle of sexual temptation or winning the war, you need to find someone that you, or maybe a couple people that you trust and that believe in you, that you can share anything that you're thinking and dealing with or struggling with. Because lust thrives on secrecy. Always remember that. Yeah. Lust thrives on secrecy. That's about sin. Thrives on secrecy. And nothing diffuses lust so effectively as exposure. Yes. When you are sharing it with someone, that you're dealing with this, you're struggling with that, and they, someone you can trust, someone that you know is not going to use it against you, um, or misuse that information, um, it will do wonders for your life. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 10, check this out. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. And how many of you know we all fall? But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. I've learned this, that in, in make good decisions in times of strength that will help prevent disaster in times of weakness. Did you hear me? Make good decisions in times of strength that will help prevent disaster in times of weakness. Now, let me, give, let me share a story with you. Uh, several years ago, I was uh, pastoring uh, one of our members on the road. Uh, he traveled, 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 and speak all over the United States as a motivational speaker. And I would periodically travel with him and um, pastor him, disciple him on the road. And this particular time, we were in Compton, uh, California, near LA. And so uh, it was the middle of the day. I checked into my hotel. Decided to turn the TV on just before, you know, I head out to, for the afternoon and evening's events. And as I did, this was back in the early 90s, as I did, I turned the TV on, it was on the Playboy channel. And so, so I had some decisions to make. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I knew that, that come 12.30, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning, I was going to wander back into my hotel extremely tired and compromised with all the stress and things that I was dealing with. And did I want to deal with that then was the question. So I called the front desk and said, uh, listen, I'm gonna ask you uh, to block this channel from my room. And uh, the lady informed me that she couldn't do that. So I asked to talk to her superior. And the superior said, I'm sorry, we can't do that. Just, just choose not to watch it, he said. 
And I said, uh, okay. So I hung up the phone. I went down to the front desk. See, I got serious about this. I was trying to make good decisions in times of strength that would help prevent disaster in times of weakness. And so I went down and I said, can I see, can I talk to the general manager? And he, uh, the guy said, yeah, just a minute, I got him. And I said, explain the situation. Told him that, that I need them to block the channel or I would need to check out of the hotel. And not only would I check out, but five other rooms we had blocked off. And the guy said, no, no problem, sir. I'll take care of that right away. <laughs> so some of you think, well, that's stupid. Why did you have to go through all that trouble? Because I, I know me. That's great. I just know me. I know I'm capable of doing some of the most hideous things out there, given the right or wrong set of circumstances. See. And so why accountability is the big question. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 20 through 21, it says we're traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we're handling this generous gift. This isn't a message Bible. We are careful to be honorable before the Lord, but we also want anyone else to see that we are honorable. In other words, no be seen in places where you will be misunderstood, and you have to continually explain what you were doing there. That's what this means. So that's why accountability is good for us, for all of us, because we, we need to live a life beyond reproach. Misunderstandings will happen. You can't prevent those people thinking the wrong things. But as long as it's within yourself to prevent that, then prevent to, and live life beyond reproach. That's, that's, why, that's why the apostle said we're traveling together. It, because, because when you see two of us, you'll see that there's some integrity behind it. Right. I'm not just doing something on my own. So what, what, what accountability is not, the question is. Mm -hmm. First of all, the one who holds you accountable is not policing you or judging you. That's what accountability is not. Yes. All right? Accountability does not make the other person responsible for your spiritual life. That's not what it is, okay? Accountability is not intended to shame you when you sin, okay? What, what is accountability? Well, accountability, the one who holds you accountable is protecting you, okay? Everyone say protecting. Mm -hmm. protecting. That's what they're there for, is to help protect you, to help keep you safe. Accountability holds you responsible and strengthens your spiritual walk. Accountability leads to you to repentance and freedom from shame when you sin, okay? So to have someone look at you and say, bro, I, I'm, in, I'm in this with you. I'm, I'm for you. I believe in you. God loves you. God cares about you. Amen? To have people in your life like that? Wow. The goal of accountability is to keep you spiritual, to keep you strong, and to keep you transparent. Just to, just to encourage one another to be, to be spiritually strong and transparent, to be open, to, to, to fight the good fight of faith, to trust God in the trenches. Um, Vic, my greatest accountability partner is my wife. Um, she holds me accountable, I hold her accountable. We, years ago, uh, I was struggling with uh, some temptations and I was able to finally go to her and confess that. Um, and she looked at me and said, if you ever struggle with that again, you know where to find me. And so um, we became fighting partners, not partners that fight. You need someone like that. It may not be your spouse right now, but you need people in your life that can help you do that. And every single one of us in this room 
need someone in our lives that we can tell anything to and they will still love us and support us. Number five, make a commitment to God's word. Make a commitment to God's word. Some think the Bible is outdated. It doesn't work. It's old-fashioned. The truth is, it can change your life. We found that out. We know that. It can change your life. It was written for your benefit, not his. Your father's trying to save your life. Psalm, Psalm 139, verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to God's word? That's how we do it. We hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's true. God's word is so powerful. Yes. And if we'll build our, our life and our, our relationships on God's word, it'll help keep us safe. I think that one of the things that really rang true to me last night was um, in Adam's, um, in the open session, he was talking about how we can't just tell people, live your truth. The word of God is the truth. And the millennial generation is not necessarily interested so much in that as it is in facts. So, and the best way for us to be able to correlate to them, to be able to share with them, is your story. Just like what he shared last night. Is our story. Our story is the word of God lives in our hearts and it changes you. It changes us from the sinners that we were before Christ from the partier people that we were before Christ to who we are today. That is a transformational change that nobody can deny. That's right. And it's our story. It's your story. It's the way that we live life. We want the, God's word to be foremost, the final authority in our lives. It's not our feelings. It's not our experiences. It is what the word says. That's how you become, that's how you're able to get away from being deceived. These generations coming up after us, after all of us, are going to have a very, very big struggle with this because they're not going to be basing it on the truth of the Word of God. They're going to be basing it on their truth. And as we learned last night, their truth is not the truth. So, the number six point here, which is super important and is very close to my heart, it says take time to cultivate your devotional life. That is the missing life, your devotional life. Often those who have fall have drifted in their soul by forgetting and foregoing the disciplines of church, meditation, worship, and prayer. In doing so, they have left out the healthy self-examination in these spiritual that these spiritual disciplines foster. If there's anything that I have gotten out of this particular conference since last night and this morning is that we often, we always have to involve ourselves in the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines. That's how we overcome. Whether it's a serious sin or a little sin or whatever it is, a bad habit, a fairly good habit that needs to get better, how do we overcome? By disciplines. We crucify our flesh, and we surrender our lives to Jesus and say we need your help. Yes. Just like we're studying, like what we're hearing, the information and education that we're getting in this conference. So, we cannot leave out those disciplines. Those is what's going to help us keep a devotional life going. 
And that Psalm 119, 111, again, is one of my favorite verses. It says that you, we hide the word in our hearts that we might not sin against him, against God, not against other people, against God. It says to spend time with us, with God on a daily basis. It will keep us out of trouble. And let me give you a little secret weapon that I personally use. I surround myself with worship music in my car, at home, at work, wherever I am. I always surround myself with worship music and I worship Him because He is worthy, He is glorious, He's able, He paid the price, and He loves us, and He wants us to live a godly life. We need Him to do that. So, why in the middle of doing all of this, you know, worshiping Him, thinking about Him, His goodness, everything He's done, it's a little hard to get kind of romantic about another person. You try it sometime. Yeah. Number seven. Guard your thoughts. Mm -hmm. We talked about the eye gate. We talked about how if, the, if your eyes good, your whole body will be good. Yep. And this whole thing about your thoughts will make you or break you. Sexual sin never comes out of the clear blue sky. But I found out that it's the result of a long process in which the mind susceptible to sin is granted unguarded exposure to immoral input. Mm -hmm. This is the process. You've seen this before, I'm sure. So a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. And so a character, reap a destiny. But it all starts with the thoughts. Our thoughts are the fabric with which we weave our character. This is also a very good scripture with that, and it's also one of my favorites that I apply almost on a daily basis. Because thoughts, you know, they're like birds that are flying out there. Sometimes, you know, the saying is you can't stop them from making what? Flying over your head. Or making the nest in your hair. Yes. But you can keep them from nesting in your hair. They can fly over you, and they can do their business over you, but... You don't have to accept them making a nest in your head. And that's what 1 Corinthians 10 is. It's a weapon. And it says in verse 4 through 5, the weapons that we fight are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Just like you don't have control over what thoughts are coming in your mind, you have control of what thoughts you're going to keep in your mind. And this is where you use this tool right here. It says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sells itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, let's simplify this. How do we do that? How do we take a thought captive? A thought is so abstract. How do you take something abstract and capture it? With your mouth. I quote this scripture all the time. When I get a nasty thought that keeps coming around, not the ones that are just flying by, you know, you'll get thousands of those in a day, but the ones that want to stay, I quote this through with my mouth. I say, no, this is that I am demolishing any, any, every argument and every pretension that is setting itself up against the knowledge of God, and I'm taking it captive. I'm taking it captive, every thought, and I'm making it obedience to Christ. That's how we practically do this. Okay? You can't stop all those thoughts from flying around, but you can take control of the ones that want to stay. And that is by the words of your mouth. You tell it. I do not. You are you're not. You're going to be obedient to Christ. 
and Christ does not give me these thoughts. These are from the enemy, and he's trying to destroy me. And therefore, I'm taking authority over that by saying, by quoting 1 Corinthians 10. So, don't allow your thoughts to wander into sexual fantasy. Mm -hmm. okay? And we're going to move on for the sake of time, because I want uh, Marcio to come up and share a little bit. Um, just number eight is discern the subtle signs of attraction. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we talked a little bit about that. A soul merger can, can uh, build and be developed in a, in a heartbeat really quick if you don't take responsibility for that. Mm -hmm. And number nine is anticipate and prevent sexual temptation. back to that issue about for a second about discerning the subtle signs of attraction you know there's a big lie that has been floating around there for decades for years for centuries and that the lie is is that if you're a married person that you can fall out of love all the movies right what, what are they all about well I fell out of love I'm not in love with you anymore I'm, I'm loving this other person do you know that you don't fall out of love did you know that you walk out of love, and it's slow, and it's little by little. So therefore, you don't fall out of love. That is a conscious decision that you make when you don't pay attention. When you don't pay attention to your relationship, when you don't pay attention to your spouse. There's always going to be somebody out there that looks better. But remember what that gets you? Get you death eventually, right? Eventually, that's what happens. Number nine, anticipate and prevent sexual temptation. And number ten, we're going to jump over this. We're running out of time. Is we need to learn how to magnify the consequences of sin. Can't tell you how many people I've met with over the years that have looked me in the eye and said, "If I would have only known." what this would do to me, what this would do to my relationship with my spouse. If I had only known the consequences of what I did and what it would do to this, my kids, my wife or my husband, if I had only known. And so I want to challenge all of us to count the cost before it happens. Count the cost before it happens. Think, think through, rehearse the consequences, look past the lure of lust, and think about how much it will hurt the people in your life. I, I've included in your packet, your, your handout, um, on the second sheet is um, the whole count the cost before it happens, lust buster thing, okay? Um, all right, I, got, I don't have my wallet here somewhere. But I have this in my wallet, that sheet that you see there. Um, I've had it for probably 30 years. Um, it's called Glenn's Lust Buster. Okay? See it? It's, if I open it up, it'll almost fall apart. Okay? Because it's so old. And on this sheet, and I encourage you to do the same thing, on this sheet, I've written down, um, Glenn, Think twice. Is what you're about to do worth it? And and, I, and then I wrote, Glenn, the following list is what it will cost you if you choose to violate your marriage covenant with your wife for a flee, fleeting moment of sexual pleasure. And then I've got about 25 things listed here. 
that would be the result or the consequence of my sin. And I pull this out a whole lot more than once, I promise you. Just to remind myself of the cost. And so one of those moral fences, one of those pillars of purity is count the cost. Magnify the consequences of sin. Don't say, it's no big deal. Don't say, oh, they'll forgive me. Don't say all that. Don't justify your foolishness. Prudence, Bible encourages us to have prudence. Prudence is the ability to send, see the end result of an action before it happens. Exercise prudence. So grab a hold of that, that, that little deal that we uh, included and, and, and do one of your own. Put it in your purse, put it in your wallet, put it somewhere where you can refer to it if you're ever in need of it again. Um, I've listed some triggers. Find the triggers that, that you're more susceptible than others. Yeah. Triggers are, you know, the whole halt thing when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, and when you're tired. Um, you can fill in those blanks if you'd like to. And then just last but not least, before Marcia comes up and shares for a few minutes, and then we'll do a few minutes of two minutes. We all know the first one, temptation. Temptation. This is just simply areas of weakness that, that you are, would succumb to in, in terms of being tempted. Second, the second one you have to watch for is accusation. Mm -hmm. In other words, the Bible says we should walk circumspectly. Okay? Watch your back. Don't be a fool. Okay? Don't, don't put yourself in a, in a position where you can be wrongly accused, falsely accused, based on a lack of wisdom. Just because you were dumb. Okay? And all of a sudden now people are, they've been able to accuse you because you've not exercised wisdom. And third, the third thing that you should, that we all need to be concerned about is just simply the whole idea of misperception. Misperception. What others perceive in your actions. Those are the three things that in order for you to walk circumspectly, you need to take into consideration. All right? Yep. All right. Marcio, come on up here. Want him to share a couple of thoughts? Well, thank you. I didn't get the memo of wearing a red sweater, so <laughs> close enough. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about culture. Um, every human being is born into a culture. You know, we don't get a choice. You know, we don't get to choose what culture we're going to be born in. You know, and cultures shape the way that we think. How many of you believe that? The way that we act, what we believe, and oftentimes, who we become. And there is no such thing as the right culture or the better culture. Each culture is unique, you know, and there's great things about your culture. Uh, and as believers, though, we are called to sometimes to, we're not called to leave our cultures, but to leave some things in our cultures that do not match the kingdom culture. So we need to be very careful about that because you can be 20 years old and you were raised in a culture, you, you are used to some customs, you are doing a lot of things, and then you get saved and you realize that a lot of the things that you thought were right, the Bible tells you that maybe they are not the right thing to do. And I want to read uh, Romans 12 too, and this is from the Amplified Version. And I know you know this verse, but like, let's, let's, let's read it again. And do not be conformed to this world or to this culture, any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively change as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind. 
as we start devoting ourselves to the word, as Vicky said, our minds are being renewed. And we start realizing that some of the things that I used to do, that my family does, that my friends, that my culture does, are not the right things to do. So our minds need to be renewed, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. So when it comes to sexual entanglements, our culture plays a big role in what we perceive is good and not good, right and not right. I've been paying attention to what um, Vicky and Glenn are saying, and with a lot of these things, I cannot even go back to Honduras and hang with my family anymore, <laughs> you know, because I am breaking a lot of these things that they're telling us to do and a lot of the fences. You know, so I'm, I was born in Honduras. I came here when I was 15 years old. My family is still there. I grew up there with a lot of the culture. In the Hispanic or the Latino culture, it's a very machista culture. And as a result, a uh, woman is seen as a sexual object. Uh, you know, you go to Latin America, many countries in Latin America today, and if a woman is walking, you know, people are going to look at her. And they're going to make noises. And they're going to call her names. And it's just the normal thing to do. It's the acceptable thing to do. Uh, boys, you know, many of you, even here in the United States, you've, you've heard of the quinceañera, you know, the big celebration with the girls 10, 15. Well, for the boys, the big rite of passage is that you actually had sex with a woman. In a lot of cultures, that was the big thing. You know, fathers would actually get excited and take their children, you know, to be with someone. Yeah. You know, growing up, I remember, you know, as a teenager, I came here when I was 15, but growing up, uh, you know, with my father, you know, back then, even with my grandfather, you know, they were not, you know, working with the Lord then. And if I wanted to get money out of my father or my grandfather, I had to say, I'm going to go on a date with a girl. Oh, you know, my boy, you know, and that was the culture. That was the culture. Um, the dress code, code. If you go to many countries in Latin America, you cannot watch TV without women being half naked. So, you know, they were talking about, you know, what are your eyes seeing? Well, everywhere that you go, you go to a soccer game. Soccer is very big in Latin America. You go to a soccer game. And in many stadiums, you know, many soccer games, you see little kids walking with the players. Here is a bunch of women that are half naked walking with the players. Why? Because that sells. If you're selling a product on TV, on our culture in Latin America, it's usually a woman that is dressed half naked, almost naked, selling something. I always remember, you know, by my house in Honduras, there used to be a sign selling chicken legs. And the sign was this woman with beautiful legs, you know, in a very, you know, skimpy underwear, saying, buy some chicken legs. I'm sure a lot of people were not looking at the chicken legs. <laughs> but that was the selling point. You know, so as a consequence, in many countries in Latin America, you know, there's a lot of sexual trauma, sexual promiscuity, sexual assault. There's a lot of sexual assault. Like I, like I tell you, you know, you're walking on the streets, and if you go to a central park in some community in Latin America, by the time you cross the park, if you're a female, you've probably been sexually assault assaulted by the way people are saying, like five, six, seven times. 
by people calling you names and doing things. And you have to understand that oftentimes, and I'm not here criticizing my culture, I love you know, our culture. What I'm saying is we grew up thinking that that might be a normal thing to do. There's not a lot of you know, wrong in that. So let me tell you, for example, a story. When I, when I, so I grew up in a Christian household. Uh, but when I came here and I was going to college here in Madison, that's when I really um, surrendered my life to God and my life changed. And then I remember I went back to, uh, this time it was Costa Rica. My father is from Honduras, my mother is from Costa Rica. And with my family, with my brothers, my cousins, uncles, you know, it was very typical that men will get together and tell sexual jokes or the typical thing is if, and you're talking with your ankles and these are, these are people that are close to you, adults, your role models. A woman will walk, walk by and you'll give her a score. Oh, that's a 10 or that's an eight or that's a seven. That was the normal thing to do. And a lot of sexual jokes. And I remember uh, I was already walking with the Lord. I was leading the youth group here in Madison. Um, and I went to Costa Rica and all my family, you know, all the men, you know, we were on one side and telling the jokes and all the sexual innuendo. And I started feeling very uncomfortable. You know, feeling like, uh, you know, should I laugh or should I not? You know, this is not right. And I started feeling like this is not me anymore. I wasn't rejecting my culture. I was rejecting the things in my culture that are not in agreement with the things of God. And you know, and what I did was, it wasn't a very manly thing to do. I got out of that group and I went to where the women were. Because <laughs> they were not talking about that. And he was like, wait, what? You know, Marcia, what is wrong with you? You know? And, and you know what's funny though, is that some of the people started making fun of me, of me because, oh, Marcia is the Christian now, or you know, he's gonna ruin the party, or he's not fun anymore. You know, I wasn't fun anymore because I wasn't falling into the sexual sin that many of them were falling into. So it took some time actually, because at first I tried to avoid it until I actually tapped to close friends, close friends, family members, and I said, you know what? I follow God now. And there's things that I cannot do. There's things that I don't want to do. There's things that don't make me feel right, even though you might feel that this is the normal thing to do. But again, I tell you this because I don't know where you are from, what culture you are from. I remember my brother, uh, he lived in, in uh, Thailand for a few years, for about seven years, and I went to visit him, and we were in a taxi cab. He looks blonde, he looks like an American, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. And we get into this taxi cab, and, and we're in Thailand, and the first thing that they give you is they give us a menu. This was a menu with all these women, you know, that we could choose from. This was a menu in the taxi car. Like they thought, you know, I was a tourist, but they thought, you know, and that was part of the culture. And uh, as I went to some small towns, my wife and I were talking to some people, and they were telling us that for younger women, they feel that if they want to get ahead in life, they need to enter into the sexual industry with the hopes that some expat or some, you know, retired, you know, American or European will somehow hire you, fall in love with you, and take you out of that. That's part of the culture. Parents, fathers, and mothers, sometimes they sell to children to this trafficking with the hope yes. 
that you will have a better life. So what am I telling you this? Because the culture has a lot to say in how we live our lives. But when we give our lives to Jesus, we follow him. And there's a culture that is a lot better than our culture. So, and I want to close with this because I, there's going to be some time for questions. But I want to close with Psalm 139, verse 23. And he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And this is the verse that I used when I started thinking about my family members, the thing that I was used to, the things that I, the way that I used to think. You know that when I moved to the United States, I was a teenager when I moved and, and grew up in a Christian household. But when I moved to the United States as a 15 year old, all my classmates, all my male friends, we're happy for me because you're going to go to the United States and all the girls there have all this sex. There's sex, 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 sex. Because wow. that's what we see in the movies. Mm -hmm. And the idea was you go to the United States and in high school, everybody is having sex. And that was like, wow. And I remember I used to talk to my friends and be like, are you having all this sex? You know, and he's like, no. You know, it just doesn't work like that. You know, you know, but that was the culture. That was the idea. So I needed to come to a place where I said, God, search my heart. And you can say, search my culture, God. Search my way of thinking. Search the things that have molded me. Even the things that my father has taught me. So that I can please you and not please my culture, my father, my uncles or the people that I grew up with. It's good. Amen. Excellent. So, in your uh, packet, you'll see that the third page is a, uh, with permission, a battle plan from crew um, that you can develop based on what we've been talking about. The whole idea was this, this, this breakout was for boundaries, for you to help build those boundaries for your own personal life. We've shared some of ours. The first one is to identify boundaries that are needed. Second is, is to identify your trigger points. Um, I told you mine is when I'm tired. I'm more susceptible to, to making foolish decisions. Um, and third is just develop an action step. Okay? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.